Planetary Radio is Public Radio's only weekly series about space exploration. I'm Matt Kaplan, and I hope you'll join me as we explore Mars, look for life in the universe, and fly through the rings of Saturn. We'll talk with the men and women, scientists and dreamers who are guiding us to a future beyond Earth. And don't forget to enter our weekly space trivia contest. That's Planetary Radio, Mondays at 5.30 p.m., right here on KUCI. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's an author and a local attorney, and she's testified many times in uh, California Congress and the U.S. Congress and uh, on identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, and she only she had her 90-minute uh, PBS special that aired last year. So to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Evening, Mari. Who's your guest tonight? Oh, my guest is someone that I met by getting an email from her. You know, I feel so fortunate that I get to meet people all over the country who are just wonderful people. And in this case, this woman was a victim of identity theft, a very bright woman who was able to discern quite a bit about what was going on with her. And I just think she's terrific. And let me tell you a little bit about Yolanda Hammond. Yolanda happens to be an internal auditor, and she is trained to identify and improve controls to prevent fraud within her own company. She's been able to use some of her skills and training in her own personal life recently in the last couple of years. She's always done a great deal to protect her own identity because she's very astute about that. She's always shredded everything with her name and address and other sensitive information. She's always reviewing her social security statement and protecting her social security number. She reviews her credit report more than once a year. And she's opted out of the telephone marketing and the mail marketing, everything that you're supposed to do. You know, the, you see the stuff on TV and she herself protects herself. And that's what's so incredible about her case, for her at least. We find that so many times victims are very astute about protecting their privacy and they still, it is not about being an educated consumer. It's really about what's happening in the, our society. So I'm gonna have Yolanda tell her story in a moment, but let me tell you a little bit more. She is a graduate from the University of Tennessee with a BS in accounting. And right after graduation, she went to work for a federal contractor and she has been with them for 24 years and she's been married for 23 years. Her job every day involves performing independent and objective evaluations of the adequacy and effectiveness of management control systems and quality performance. She provides all sorts of audits that ultimately help the company to do the right things and do the right things not only for their internal customers but for their outside people as well. So she's going to enlighten you as to what she thinks should be done in companies as well and tell us the whole story so you're going to get some inside information. Yolanda, thanks so much for joining us all the way from Tennessee. Well, Mari, thank you very much for the, the very complimentary introduction there. I, I almost didn't recognize myself. Oh, you did too. <laughs> the good news is that we've been talking for a long time, and we um, I just think you're terrific, Yolanda, and I'm so grateful that you'd come on the show to tell your story. Well, this is certainly a, a mutual admiration society because I found you to be so supportive and so helpful to me because although I knew a lot from a company perspective, 
It was a totally different experience um, uh, with myself being vulnerable. So you've been very helpful and calming and informative, and so I've really appreciated your assistance. Well, you know what? You're a quick learner. <laughs> so, let, so let's find out. You know, let's talk just a few minutes first about what auditors really do and what you do. And we're not going to talk about who your company is, but let's talk about the kinds of things you do. Well, uh, auditors, I think most people think of the IRS, of course, and, and that's not what an internal auditor does. There's someone who is within the company, and if they're structured correctly, they're very independent because they will report to the president of the company, and they'll also have an external audit committee that will monitor their activities and who's in the group and that their manager is getting the support of their company management. So it's it's meant to be, I guess, a quasi-independent organization because even though you may be paid by the company, you're really paid to be objective and and above the the executive management so that you can look and make sure that they're complying with any rules and regulations, any contractual requirements. Uh, We look at efficiencies. It's not just a matter of making sure that people are following the, the policies to the letter because if the policies need to be updated or revised or if they're just wrong, then our recommendation is revise the policy, not necessarily change the process. But we also look to see if there are any efficiencies that can be done within processes. Um, We also have responsibility for, within that, identifying any fraud. I mean, we are sometimes called in on investigations uh, where there's um, inappropriate behavior or uh, to determine if there's been an inappropriate action or activity. So it, it really runs the gamut, and it's not just the numbers. It's not just financial, because I think a lot of people think of auditors as just looking at the books, just looking at accounting activities, and it's really not that. It's it's really getting a bird's-eye view of the company because you get to go to many different organizations and speak with many different people and just and learn a lot about the company. So you, so you look for uh, types of things like fraud and you look for, for how companies are managing so that they're protecting their inside customers and their outside customers from fraud. Is that right? That is correct. So we, you know, we also look at, the, as you said, uh, fraud and, and privacy, of course, is a very uh, hot issue, and that's something also we're aware of. I mean, we look at how our company uh, handles what we call personally identifiable information. We look at where it's stored, uh, who has it, why do they have it. Who really has access it? to it. Exactly, <laughs> who has access to it, how you destroy it. Right. Uh, and, how you safeguard it. How you safeguard it. All of those aspects of uh, privacy within the company. And, uh, you know, that's that, that's something that, as a matter of fact, I think within the past couple of years, we've actually done a review within our company, and it's still ongoing in terms of we recommended to our information group to say, hey, you need to actually touch all of the organizations, and sit down with the people individually and find out what they've got. Exactly. And and audit trails, so that if somebody does have access to personally identifiable information, that's sensitive information, that you need to know who who had access to it, Mm -hmm. when did they have access to it, why did they have access to it. So that leads us to some very interesting things about how you became a victim of identity theft. Tell us... I guess we should step back a little bit. We talked about how because you're so astute about privacy and auditing, before you became a victim of identity theft, what did you do to protect your personal information? How careful were you? I was, I call myself very anal retentive. <laughs> I was obsessed with protecting information. Uh, and it's been a process of knowledge. I mean, I... Uh, 
actually, I guess, went to college during a time when the Social Security number was how you were identified. So I was very accustomed to having to go into places at my university, and, you know, they didn't ask your name. They asked your Social Security number. So at that time, I would call myself very unaware. But as I actually became an internal auditor and looking at controls and protecting things, and a lot of our continuing education was going to classes and seminars and hearing talks about protecting data, not necessarily just personal data, that I began to learn. So I was, you know, growing many years ago in in learning how to, okay, let's shred this. Or I got tired of junk mail and I learned that, okay, you can opt out. And you can tell people, at that time there wasn't the Internet, so it was writing a letter and making sure that that letter was received by the company. And I did all of that, and then I learned about how too many credit cards out there affect not only your credit rating, but that you're vulnerable. Because if you haven't used the account, you haven't closed the account, that someone else could use it. So... As I began to reduce my debt, I began writing letters and canceling credit cards and ensuring that I got, you know, some confirmation back that the account had been closed and getting my credit report and making sure that it was reflected there. So over the So here you are doing all the right (laughs) things, you know, and this is the thing that I think that most people just don't get. They think that if you lose your identity or your identity is stolen, it's because it's something that you've done. And that is the most, uh, you know, the biggest fantasy out there that the financial industry wants us to to think about, that it's really the consumer, but it really isn't. So let's talk about how you found out that your identity was stolen. Well, of course, they say in certain events, you always remember where you were when things happened, and I do. I was at work. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband called me and said, oh, you got a call from a credit card company trying to verify that you'd opened an account. And I distinctly remember pausing, going, what? (laughs) Because over the years, as I said, I tried to reduce debt. We were down to, like, one credit card. And I knew I had absolutely no reason to open a credit card account. So I was like, oh, there's got to be a mistake. That was my first thought. So he gave me the telephone number that they had left with him and the name. And while I was still at work, I called because it was an 800 number. And Now, Yolanda, did you think that that was maybe a phony phone call? Were you a little bit suspicious even with that? I mean, that's kind of scary. As an auditor, you kind of know how people can do social engineering as well. That is very true. And, you know, actually that didn't enter my my mind. I just went, oh, this is you know, this you were so right. mad. This is- <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, this isn't wrong. Why are they calling me? You know, and I just, I, I think my initial reaction was, oh, I'm going to get this cleared up. You know, they've made a mistake, right. and, and I'm going to take care of it. So, yeah, you're right. We do um, basically hear a lot, not only just as an internal auditor, but from within our company. There's a lot of information to us about social engineering, you know, just trying to find out who you are and what you do so that they can take that piece and add it to multiple other pieces and, and, and you know. Like right, said, right. That's why I was going to say, I just wanted to interject here. I, I know that you did it and I know that it was a real company, but I, I still think it's a really good idea to, to remind people that when you get a call from someone saying, you know, you have a credit card or whatever, get the name of the person, get the name of the company, mm-hmm. get you know, and then look it up either on you know on the internet or somewhere else, and verify that this is a real company. Because sometimes people will do that just to, you know, pretext call. You know, uh, fraudul- fraudulently say, "Oh, well, we have a credit card in your name," and you know, you never know. You you get scared like you did, and it could be fraudulent because we hear about mm-hmm. that all the time. So, I luckily it turned out to be real. But it's just a little caution that I want to remind everybody that don't just freak out just like when you get those phishing emails right That's it looks exactly like, right it looks like they're telling you hey there's a problem with your account or you know you owe such and such and you you don't and then they say go to this particular website and click here and then give us your information that is just a come on it's social engineering you don't want to fall for it 
You've got a very good point there. And, it, and you know, even if you do, as you say, call them as I did, certainly don't give them any information. Make them give you the information. Perfect. You and know. that's true. So if you do find yourself calling like you did, don't give them anything. You make them give you everything. So that's right. So that's what you did, right? So tell that's us what happened. Well, they went on to explain uh, that there was a credit card open, and they just wanted to validate that I had opened the account, to which I said, uh, I have not. I have not authorized anyone to. When was this open, and what are you talking about? So the company proceeded to give me a name, an address, now, the name was similar to yours, right? That is correct. The first name was identical. Right, so it was name. Yolanda, right? That is correct. And the address was an address in Georgia. And I proceeded to at least And you live say, in Tennessee. Exactly. And I indicated I have never resided in Georgia. I did not attend school in Georgia. I have never shared an apartment. I do not have any known relatives in Georgia. So, you know, I went on to state all of this, and they said, well, (laughs) would you like to file a fraud report? And I said, "Uh, yes, I would like to file a fraud report. Well, you know, you're lucky, Yolanda, that they even gave you that information because a lot of times victims will call or they'll get a call and they'll say, where did you send the credit cards? Where did you send the billing statements? What is exactly, you know, what are you looking at? And often they're afraid to even tell you. And and so you're very fortunate in that, that they even told you. Did they give you an address where they sent the credit cards? Yes, yes, they did, you know, give me the address. Because, again, I wasn't going to reveal where I lived. So sure. I said, well, what was the address? And so they did give me actually a street number and an address, and I went, I've never lived there. Did they give you the phone number of the person who had opened the account? They did not have a phone number. See, they had my telephone number. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) And Were they uh, looking at your credit report when they were talking to you, did she say, or he say? No, no, they didn't indicate whether they had looked at my credit report. They, apparently, it was just their practice. Now, whether I was, and I didn't ask this question, which I had, uh, whether it was their practice to contact someone immediately after, you know, to validate the account, or whether I was just a random individual that they selected to validate, or if they actually had some sort of flag that didn't look right. Now, had she already opened the account and started charging on it? Yes. Okay, now this is what happened. This mm-hmm. is I can tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. Because she already started charging on it, she probably wasn't paying. And when she wasn't paying, they wanted to contact her. And when they couldn't find her phone number, they pulled the credit report and found your phone number. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay? Because if, if they would have seen what, what normally happens is this. When a company gets an application to open up a credit card, the first thing they do is pull a credit report. And what they should do from day one is look at the credit report and see, is the name an exact match? Is the address an exact match? That's the key, which obviously they didn't because they would have seen her address was in uh, Georgia and your address was in Tennessee right then and there before they even opened it. That should have been the red flag, right? Exactly. And the area code to the telephone number would not have matched. Now, I know there's portability now and people can be in different states and have cell phones, but I mean, mine was a landline. So, you know, the fact that the address was in one state and the telephone number belonged to another also should have been a flag. Right. And so what they did when they pulled the credit report back up, they saw, gee, well, this Yolanda, it, you know, this is her phone number and we're going we're gonna to get a hold of her. Who knows what phone number she originally gave? Exactly. You know, maybe she, it was a cell phone that she turned off or maybe it was a fake number to begin with. Well, from that point, as soon as they... Um asked if I wanted to file a fraud, you know, declare that the account was fraudulent and file a 
fraud report, and then they would further investigate. And I, of course, immediately requested, please close the account. Do not process further charges right. on the account, to which they complied. And I followed up later with a letter requesting that. But um, I I was still asking questions. Well, you know, <laughs> how was this account open? And, and part of the account was linked to a bank account. There had been a bank account opened, and uh, through this bank account, the individual was then able to obtain like a, a line of credit credit card uh-huh. through the bank account. So, okay, so the, the credit card, the original credit card that was open, was with a bank? Was it with a bank then? Yes, Okay. It was with the bank. So she got a credit card, and then she got a credit line, and she was getting cash. Mm-hmm. And so what was she doing, like um, cash advances? Is that what it was mostly? There was some of that, and then there were just some actual charges. I mean, to uh, no huge ticket items. I mean, nothing that was thousands of dollars, but there were restaurants and there were some shopping trips and there was even gasoline. I mean, it was very... She was having fun on your money, on your she credit. She was having fun and living. I mean, some of it was just like, okay, this just looks like someone who's going to get gas. And now they had dinner out, and oh, they went to the mall and got a few items. So, I mean, it was, it wasn't as if the individual was ordering big screen televisions and anything. However, later there were some uh, larger items. And we'll get to that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but she was also taking cash advances, so she was getting money That's out. True. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, after getting all that information over the phone, I I have another ha- question, Yolanda. Sure. Do you know how how long that account had been open before they contacted you? The account had been open approximately a month and a half. Okay, so she was having fun for just a month and a half before mm-hmm. she said she probably mm-hmm. wasn't paying anything. Exactly. So they they came to you, right? Exactly. So I, I went home immediately, got online, and um, filed the fraud alert with all three of the credit reporting agencies. And I and I did that online, and then I followed up with a letter. But I immediately pulled my credit reports also to see what activities were on there okay and you did exactly the right thing so those of you who are listening if you have something like this happen to you the first thing you do is call or go online and put a fraud alert on your credit reports and that fraud alert says don't issue credit without calling me first at this number and it's a good idea to give your cell phone number because if you are out shopping and somebody's trying to get credit in your name at least they can get you on your cell phone if you're if you're not home they can't Excellent idea. So I did that, and once I pulled the credit reports from each of the agencies and looked, and I found not only the credit card for the company that had initially contacted me, but I found two other accounts that I had not opened and that had been fraudulently opened by the same person. And one was another credit card, and the other was a car loan. Now, let me ask you something. When you looked at your credit report, Yolanda, mm-hmm. and you looked at the first credit header section, what address appeared on there? Did her address in Georgia appear on the credit report? Yes, now? it did. Yes. Okay, so let me explain again to the audience what happened, because they're saying, how did that happen? Well, when she applied for that very first card, which we're going to you know, reveal who she was in a little few minutes. But when she applied for that first card at her address or at the address that she was using to get the cards, that got reported to the credit reporting agencies. So as soon as that first bank, which was really negligent, opened that account in her name, in your name, at her address, the credit bureaus automatically changed your address to her address Mm -hmm. and that's what appeared and then your address becomes the previous address right that's correct that's exactly what happened yes and this this is the kind of thing that has been happening Yolanda since I was a victim back in 1996 and I have been yelling and screaming about this and let me just say the good news here just for a second just Uh. to interject because I think it's important that as we hear this history we see what's coming up 
The Fair Credit Reporting Act was amended back in 2004, and one of the provisions was to set up red flag rules, which the red flag should have been, uh uh-oh, Yolanda Hammond lives in Tennessee, but this application is in Georgia. Maybe we should check. (laughs) So the new red flag rules has about a list of 26 different things that potential creditors should look at, and one of them is, does all of the information on the credit report match what's on the application? Now, doesn't that seem like that should have been like day one? <laughs> well, yes, but and I've got a question for you that I don't okay. think I've asked before. Are the credit reporting agencies regulated? Yes. I've, okay. They're regulated by the Federal Trade Commission, and they're regulated through the Fair Credit Reporting Act. But there wasn't any, um, until recently, there really wasn't any accountability for them uh, to, to have these red flags, so to speak, all right? In other words, maybe the credit reporting agency would show a, a new address that's, that's on there that, that was a different address, but the creditor just disregarded it. Now, under the red flag rules, a credit reporting agency that sees something like this has to notify the creditor, hey, the address is different. Maybe you better look at it. They can't force them, but they have to notify them. And then it's up to the creditor to decide or to, uh, to decide whether they want to issue credit or to move forward and verify that you have moved. Okay, so... Yes, there have always been duties since, I think, the early 90s, 1996. There have been duties of the uh, credit reporting agencies to make sure that the, well, I better take that word back, make sure, to <laughs> um, to have correct information and to, to take reasonable measures to have correct information. Now the reasonable measures are being more defined for the credit bureaus and the creditors through the red flag rules, which, by the way, they came into effect January 2008, but all financial institutions must be compliant by November 2008. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have some improvement, I believe. Okay. But I, sorry to interject, but I think these are kind of important to, for people to see this kind of stuff happens all the time, but there might be a light at the end of the tunnel. Okay, so you found out about the next two fraudulent Mm -hmm. things, and one was a car loan. So what did you find out about the car loan? Well, the car was purchased in Georgia, and uh, I think the car was around $16,000, and um, fairly late model. I think it was supposed to be like a 2003 or 2004 vehicle, and... um, that loan was on there. Now, what was interesting on the credit report was at that point in time, in December, none of those accounts showed as delinquent. Right, so you she know, was paying. So even though I saw those, I was like, oh, okay, they're not delinquent. And it was a little bit puzzling at first. But it's not because the only way she could keep this, you know, to keep this car was to make these payments. But she was probably using some of the cash advances to help her make those payments. <laughs> no doubt. So, again, it was surprising to see those because, as we had discussed earlier, I was very diligent in getting the credit reports. And, in fact, after the um, law passed where you could get one free report every year from each agency. Right. I had actually started getting one from an agency, and then I would wait four months right. to get one from a different agency. Right. And then wait for So I was technically getting three credit reports per year. Yes. And I had just gotten a credit report in October. And they're not and that easy December, to read. And there was nothing on there. And I'm there gonna... was no fraudulent activity. There was correct addresses. It was perfect. Right. So it's just between December mm-hmm. and when did it start? October. And October, right. Let me introduce you again. We are speaking with 
Yolanda Hammond, who is an internal auditor. She is trained to identify and improve controls to prevent fraud within her own company. She's very astute about privacy and identity theft, and she's a perfect, perfect example of how you could do everything right. And if there are things that are happening beyond your control, which happened to her, which happened to me, it's very easy to become a victim of identity theft. And we're hearing in the news all the time, we, may, we need to make consumers so much more educated so they can protect and avoid identity theft. It's baloney. It's total baloney. And Yolanda is a walking example, just as I am, of how you could do everything right in terms of protecting your own identity and privacy and still become a victim. So Yolanda, let's get back to this, this car loan. So did you call the car dealership? Well, based on the information I had in the credit report, I didn't have enough to go on. And I looked even in the section that has uh, who pulled your report, you know, yes. inquiries. Yes. And there wasn't any information there. I mean, <laughs> there was um, like a manufacturer name, so I didn't have an address. There wasn't a telephone number. Not all of the apparently companies who make inquiries into your credit report provide telephone numbers. Okay, so that's, I, I want to stop you right there because that's really important to know. Mm-hmm. First of all, let's go back to the inquiry section because you understand what it is, but a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. And that's the one of the latter sections of your credit report that says these companies accessed your credit report for the purpose of issuing you credit. And there'll be a list, and what she's talking about now is that many times you will see the name, the address, and the telephone number of a company that has gotten your credit report. And sometimes it'll be an American Express and you already have that. You already have that card. Or maybe you've applied for um, a mortgage and it'll be that mortgage company. In this case, Yolanda says there was no phone number, no address, nothing. Now, you have the right under the Fair Credit Reporting Act to write to the credit bureaus and demand that they give you that information. I want to know. Yeah, you write to them and you say, these inquiries appear on my credit report. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they are. I need to know the name and address to write to them. And also, they are fraudulent. So under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, any fraudulent activity must be removed within 30 days if you provide a letter with backup police report. So anyway, again, this, how does everybody know this? This is the law. They just don't know it. Consumers are told they're supposed to protect themselves, but they aren't told how. (laughs) Oh, that's exactly the truth. And, you know, it it can become a full-time job too, but there are some basic things that, as you said, if you know where to look, they're fairly simple to take care of. And, and But you and have to know what to do. I know You have to know where to look and what to do. And that's, that's uh, it's unfortunate, and you have to have some help. That's why, you know, you were able to get my book, and, and that mm-hmm. at least was a, you know, a recipe for what to do and the letters. So let's go back. So what happened with that dealership? You did not have any information to contact them, but they had issued a loan for, sh- for her to get a car, right? Exactly. They had issued a loan, so that was showing up. So I did uh, exactly what you said before, is I disputed every single piece of information on my credit report that was fraudulent, and that was including the address, the accounts, and the inquiries. Right, and a lot of people don't realize that they have to get those fraudulent inquiries off their credit report because... Those inquiries actually lower your credit score the more inquiries on there. So that's very smart that you did that. It's very important that you did that, and other people must know that if there's anything fraudulent, anything on that credit report, not just accounts, but anything, the wrong address, the wrong name, the wrong social, anything, the wrong birthday, uh, the wrong account numbers, anything on there has to be removed. Okay. Yeah, and I did it for each of the credit reporting agencies because although they said particularly like the fraud alert that 
they would pass it along to the other agencies, I, I didn't trust that. So I and, would do it individually for each one. And that's another really important thing that, that you're saying, Yolanda, is that when you call one of the credit bureaus, they're supposed to call the other two and notify them. However, we have um, seen studies by Debix, which is a company that tested that, and it only works 40% of the time because mm. each of them have a different system. So somehow if, if your name appears a little bit different on one of the other credit bureaus, it won't set. Your, so you have to call all three. So that was really smart. As an auditor, you know, <laughs> like you said, you're anal about it. Exactly. Uh, the auditor's creed, trust but verify. You right. know, it's just <laughs> you trust that they're going to do it, but you just check just in case. So yes, it, it yeah. was just something I felt that I needed to do. So it was, you know, at that point, that was late in the evening, uh, same day, you know, just having gone home from work. I don't think I even ate anything, just went straight to the disputes and looking at the reports and trying to figure out what happened and how it happened because I basically had no information other than the individual's name or a name that was not mine and an address that wasn't right, mine. Right, and then a credit report that showed some accounts. Exactly. So, now, what about the other account, the other credit card? The other credit card, I mean, it had a relatively... Uh, speaking after hearing other horror stories, small limit, it was like $5,000. But it was up to like already $4,800 or something had right. been charged to the the account. Right, so they didn't contact you yet, but you, you, you know, they didn't put it into collections yet, but she was just moving up there getting, getting what she could. Exactly. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where I just, I didn't know where to go, and and I began looking online, and these are things that you're right. They were in your book, Mari, to, you know, go to the Federal Trade Commission website, and there's actually an opportunity to report if you've had fraud occur in your life, you know, identity theft, to report it there. I went to that website. And, of course, there was a lot of information. So I started reading it, and it said, okay, you also need to at least notify or check with your Social Security Administration to see if someone has, you know, um, taken employment. Exactly. Using your Social Security number. So I got the telephone number for that because Social Security Administration in certain aspects is not real friendly Yes. website-wise, so I had to get the telephone number and wait till the next day to contact them. And so it was just a matter of going through all these checks, and they said, you know, check with your state to see if they have a way to report or record uh, identity theft information. And at that point, you didn't know anything about this person. No. You didn't know if she was committing crimes in your name. She didn't. You didn't know if you were going to end up getting fired as as an auditor. You know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know how my information got leaked. I'm like, I I know people can, as they say, scam, get information off your credit cards. But I hadn't lost one. One hadn't been out of my sight. And and you know what? <laughs> they wouldn't have gotten that information off your credit card. You know, they. If, you know, if you would have been luckier if she would have just used your credit card because that yes. you would have gotten your credit card statement. You would have known. Mm -hmm. But what she did was she had to have had your social security number and more sensitive information about you to do this, and that's what you later found out. Yeah. So, you know, it was just a daily process after that of. Um, you know, writing letters, finding out if there was something else I could do. And, again, it was very frustrating because the recommendation was to, you know, contact your police department and file a report. Well, I contacted mine, and they said, well, how did it happen or where did it happen? I'm going, I don't know. And, you know, this, <laughs> is, this is really important. Again, if you're listening to this and you're worried about this, that it may have happened to you. 58% of victims of identity theft have no clue of how it happened or why it happened or who did it to them, and they never find out. That's 58%. Of the rest, the 42% that learn, it's going to be like you, which we're going to talk about how you learned about it. But it isn't necessarily someone you know. In fact, only 6% is family members. 
And the other uh, 8% of, of people who you know is usually co-workers Ooh. or an employee <laughs> or an employer. And then the rest, it's like security breaches, which could be online or offline. And we're going to talk about yours in a second. So, all right. So then when you contacted me when? Uh, I believe it may have been like, like December the following year. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So you exactly. were you were just floundering trying to find things from the exactly. Federal Trade Commission and all the different mm-hmm. places, and then then you, you wrote looking me. at the checks. You know, right. that was another thing. You know, they say check to see if they're checking accounts because they're things that don't show up on your credit report. So there's another set of agencies that you have to contact to see if there are accounts in your name. So I just kept checking the credit reports. And there were all sorts of odd inquiries showing up from telephone companies. And I would call them if there was a number and say, excuse me, do you have an account? The last four digits of the social are this. It could be this name. And in the majority of the cases, nothing had been opened, you know, and I could just note that, well, they said, we don't have an account. I, I would note that, who I talked to, the date I talked to them. It was a full-time job. I, I, I'm already accustomed to organization, but I have a huge file of all the, the, the telephone calls and the letters and the statements and the documents. So Lucky it, you're anal. Yeah. <laughs> so you could be organized. Exactly. So I, I was actually one day again, pulling another credit report and looking in the inquiry section, and it listed an apartment complex. Yes. And it listed a telephone number, thank goodness, and I looked them up online, like you said, I looked up to see, okay, yeah, there's an apartment complex there, and I called them. And when I called them... And this is important to know, just I'm going to stop you again, these little interjections so people know. You have to become a detective like Yolanda did. (laughs) Yolanda is now a detective as well as an auditor. And and that's really what you have to do. You have to look. There is a wealth of information in these credit reports because the inquiry section are the clues to to the crime. So when you look at these inquiry section and who's gotten your credit report, you may need to know that under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, you can demand to get documentation not only from the fraud accounts but from the inquiries if someone has inquired to get your credit report you call them up and say what was your permissible purpose to get my credit report because no one can get your credit report under federal law without a permissible purpose and the permissible purposes are if you've asked for credit or if you want to get a job or if you're looking for an apartment, landlord-tenant situation, or you have a business dealing. Mm-hmm. So you can ask the company, why? how did you get my credit report? Why did you get my credit report? And you'll know when they got it because it's going to be stated, the date is going to be right on your credit report in the inquiry section. Mm-hmm. It, it certainly is. And it just so happened, uh, let's see, I got the first call about the uh, fraudulent credit card in December. This was March that I'm got the credit report, saw the apartment inquiry, called the apartment manager and said, excuse me, has someone by this name attempted to rent an apartment using the last four digits of this social? And they were, well, well, yes, someone has rented an apartment. I said, well, that that was in Georgia, right? That was in Georgia. That was in Georgia. Yes. Thank you very much. That was in Georgia. And I said, excuse me, I am the victim of identity theft. That individual has fraudulently used my information. I have not authorized this person to use my information. And the lady was shocked because apparently it was a very nice apartment complex. And she was just surprised because apparently the person who had been there, you know, had no sticker across their head that they (laughs) were an identity thief. (laughs) (laughs) And so... I asked, I said, excuse me, I said, I have a fraud alert on my credit report. Uh, did, did you pull my credit report and did it have that? And the individual said, well, yes, I saw that, <laughs> but I thought the person was you. Because, again, the person had my first name, <laughs> and so the apartment manager just assumed, or maybe I think what she said was the person said they had just gotten married. Or something. So they were claiming that my true last name 
was their maiden name. Okay. And so, so the individual did not call the telephone number that was listed on my credit report. And that's another <laughs> important thing that I need to share with everybody, and that is this. There are so many companies and landlords who will see the credit report and see a fraud alert that says, don't issue credit without calling me first at this number, and they disregard it. And they disregard it for stupid reasons like what you're talking about. Well, somebody, t you know, she obviously used social engineering to say, oh, well, you know, I just got married, da-da-da, you know, whatever it is. And unfortunately, the law as it stands now is if a company issues credit to a fraudster after they see a fraud alert, and they haven't made a phone call, you don't have any, you have no right to sue them. <laughs> so talk about enforcement when we talk about auditing. If you don't have any enforcement, the auditing itself is worthless, and that's the same thing with the law. But the good news is, again, getting back to the red flag rules, that's one of the red flags. If you see a fraud alert on a credit profile, that should that has to go into your list of red flags to do something and then the companies have to develop a an identity theft prevention plan mm -hmm. that includes responding to the red flags so this has to again be accomplished by all financial industry including car dealerships ten, landlord tenants you know landlords everybody mm -hmm. is going to have to do this so Hopefully we'll see some change. So anyway, they ignored the fraud alert. And did, <laughs> did the woman actually move in? Yes. She actually had moved in. Uh-huh. So you had a captive person. Yes. So, and it was very fortunate that this particular thing happened because I had also, based on the Georgia address, tried to contact the Georgia law enforcement and say, excuse me, someone by this name <laughs> has fraudulently use my information and unfortunately because it was out of state they would not take a report over the phone yes and this is another place for me to to add these little tidbits in and that is if you're a victim of identity theft you must do uh you must make a police report where you live even if you know that the fraudsters in another state mm -hmm. you go to your own local local state or federal law enforcement agency that means it can be anywhere from the local police or sheriff to the to the postal inspector which by the way they're pretty good because um whenever the mail is used for fraud which obviously it was because she got accounts that went through the mails um any or the fbi or the secret service which they usually don't want to do it unless there's a really yeah. huge amount of money, money lost, but, but I'll tell you, the U.S. Postal Service will. So if you can't get your local law enforcement, you can get the postal inspector. You, you, you look up in the yellow pages, and you get the postal inspector to help you. But anyway, if you once you have that police report, then at least, for example, in California, the local law enforcement agency must call the agency in the other state. So a lot, that's starting to happen. Okay, so you could not, I mean, you can understand. Why would Georgia care about you? You're not a, oh, yeah. you know, you're a Tennessee resident. Who cares? And I had a catch-22 because, as I said, I had contacted my local, and they were like, well, you need to file it wherever it happened. Yeah. And, and it was, again, one of those where, and I wasn't as persistent as I need to be, keep going back because eventually you're going to get someone who understands it and will take your report because right. I even had read where they said you know you can file a miscellaneous report and I stated that to my local law enforcement hey I read I can file a miscellaneous they said well we really don't do those and I, just, and I'll I was tell so you frustrated why. yes <laughs> and, I, and this is another little tidbit that I learned and that is that the reason a lot of law enforcement agencies like your local police or sheriff don't want to file a police report is because then if they file that police report, then they have an obligation. They think that they have an obligation to investigate. And they don't want to investigate or they think it's going to be too time-consuming because of the fact that it's out of state. They, they don't have the jurisdiction. So that's when you ask for what we call an informational report. 
and just tell them, I know that you may not have time to investigate this, but I must have it because without a police report, you cannot clean up your credit profile. That is clear on the law without some kind of law enforcement report, even from your DMV, your Department of Motor Vehicles, you can get one. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but, but when this happened to you, you know, Tennessee was not quite up there in terms of the laws. Hopefully that's changing. Okay. So, so local law enforcement wouldn't help you. And the uh, law enforcement agency in, in, uh, in uh, Georgia, what'd they say? They said, no, we can't do they anything. Said, no, we can't do it over the phone. Okay. So what are you supposed to go there? <laughs> yeah, I guess that was the expectation. But as I said, fortunately, when I contacted this apartment manager, uh, this individual knew a detective in uh, the local uh, county, I think, uh, uh, office. And so she called the detective there. So she, she could make the police report. She could make the police report, yeah. Well, she called the detective in, and then she called me back, and she said, I've contacted this detective. She gave me the name and the number. And again, since I was in highly paranoid state, I was looking up that, you know, uh, <laughs> law enforcement agency to make sure that it existed and see if I could see the name anywhere. And yeah, so, make sure that they weren't part of the whole ring. Exactly. I was just, you know, like I said, in highly paranoid state. But you know and, what? But I have to tell you, Yolanda, a little bit of paranoia <laughs> is, is not really, I mean, you're not, you know, bipolar or anything, you know? <laughs> little bit of paranoia is good it's good because then you're extra cautious especially when all this insidious fraud is going on Mm -hmm. so at that point i was able to get in touch with the detective the detective did take a report over the telephone and 10 days later the individual was caught and arrested okay so now let's find out the nitty-gritty of how did she get your information, because you found that out. Yes, and it seeped out, because after she was arrested and they were interviewing, she was very evasive. I got a call back from the police department. They said, did you have any health care provider in your home recently, anything related to that? And I hadn't. And it was very puzzling. I said, I don't even think any of my family has that, you know. And, and I checked with them, and there hadn't been. And they just said, we keep getting information. This person worked in the healthcare field. And then probably about three months, so that was about June, I get a call stating, oh, excuse me, this benefit provider, medical information, has determined that their employee stole your information and used it for identity theft. Okay, so your company, which we won't mention your company's name, had hired a benefit provider, and that benefit provider hired a felon, right? That's also what I found out, was that (laughs) this individual already had some warrants against her for similar activities. In fact, I think she had three warrants. So this was not her first uh, time doing it, and I think she may have had the warrants out when she was hired or employed by the company. So this is really an important issue, and this goes to the heart of what's going on in our society, Yolanda. Yolanda, 60 to 70% of all identity theft is derived in the workplace because people have access. So this woman who was already a felon was working for a company that had your sensitive information, right? That's correct. Your company trusted this other company Mm -hmm. with your sensitive information, not only yours, but other people, right? That's correct. And that company hired somebody without even doing a background check and then gave that person a free reign to look at your sensitive information and use it. Is that what happened? That's correct. Or let's say that's all I can assume at this point because the company that hired the individual hasn't felt the need to communicate to me 
what exactly happened, whether they do actually perform background checks or to what extent or why the person had access or if they should have had access to my information. So that's the pieces that I'm filling in for myself because they haven't chosen to share what exactly their policy is. Well, the reason that they haven't chosen to share, and we can talk about who they are, okay, is if you want to, because this, you know, the truth is an absolute defense. <clears throat> the reason they don't want to share is because they have some legal liability, don't they? If they know or if they haven't done things to protect you and to protect your information, if they've negligently hired or negligently supervised or negligently provided access to your sense of information, then that may be compensable. And look what you've gone through. So, Yolanda, tell me, how did you feel? Lloyd says we have about three minutes left, and I think, you know, you found out who she was. She was arrested. Is she doing time now? Yes, she is. She is doing four years. Okay, so she's doing four years. And, and she'll I get, think she's got six years probation. Yeah, so she'll come out and do it again because a lot of them, they get out and they go on probation and they do it again because it's <laughs> an easy crime and she probably won't get caught the next time. She's learned something. But let's talk about the impact on you and mm. how you felt. Um, helpless, uh, frustrated, angry, angry, just, just terribly angry and exhausted. I didn't realize the toll it had taken on me until months later because as I said every afternoon I would come in from my paid job and come home and do almost the same thing until I went to sleep because I was looking to see if there was something else I could do when I didn't know how my information had gotten stolen but then even after the individual was arrested I was trying to figure out what else am I going to find? What else am I going to have to clean up? Uh, and and, and who else living is this in fear. Yes. Yeah. Living yeah. in fear. And also, it, it took an emotional journey. I know you and I talked several times when you oh, were going yeah. through this, and it was very upsetting for you. And you're, you're a pretty balanced professional woman, mm-hmm. and it's understandable that what you were going through was so incredibly distraught you know made you distraught and it's understandable yeah I I felt totally helpless I mean here I'm not like I said perfect I I appreciate your words but I mean I've, I've tried to be fiscally responsible and pay my bills and manage debt and just try to do all these things and it's just gone yes and and totally beyond your control just because a company did not care enough to protect your data. Lloyd is telling me it's time to go. Do you believe that, Yolanda? I can't believe it. (laughs) I can't. But, you know, I want to thank you for sharing all this really important information because what happened to you happens to so many people, and it gave me an opportunity to kind of share these tidbits as we went along. And so do, do you have any final words for anyone who is going through a similar process or... Well, if they haven't already contacted you, I would definitely <laughs> recommend that they contact you or go to your website and, and get the book. But I would also say is just to be strong. If there's support around you, if there's family, is is to keep going and doing the best you can because that's all you can do. And and just to remain vigilant and you know get your reports and. And do and, the letters. You know, and that's, do the letters and, and write the letters. But And just to let everybody know that they can get the book with, you know, the workbook. It's a workbook. Mm-hmm. It's not just a book you read. It's a that's workbook right. with a CD with legal letters. So you don't have to create the letters. You oh, fill them yeah. in because that's why I did it. But Lloyd is giving me the cut off my head sign here. Yolanda, we'll talk again. Thank you so much. And we'll keep in touch. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for sharing your story. You're wonderful. Yolanda Hammond. It. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Privacy Piracy. Join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. at 
KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net and visit our website, KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.